So today we come to uh, the, the next part. What's the next fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, well done. Look at that. Ten pound for Ruth over there. I've not got ten pounds, so see Tony. He's, um, so, uh, yeah, Tony Cantrell. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to be talking today about the second fruit of the Spirit that, uh, that Paul lists, which is, which is joy. And, um, you know, there are different types of joy. There are different types of joy. The, uh, the, there is joy that relates to different things uh, or comes from different things, if you like. And uh, I've upset the baby already, haven't I? My word. Um, or maybe I should say it this way. There is a joy that relates to different things or, or, or comes from different things. And what I mean by that is that the feeling of joy isn't confined to Christian experience. Okay. Um, Joy isn't confined to Christian experience. It's not unique to Christianity. It isn't something that just, that just Christians um, experience. Okay. So let's work with this generic definition. I love definitions, right? Because they, they give you a platform to work off, don't they? Let's work from this generic definition. Joy is a feeling in the soul that is produced by something that we put our confidence in or something that we put our hope in, if you like. It's a feeling in the soul that is produced by something that we put our confidence in or our, or our hope in. So, for instance, let me give you some examples. Uh, you know, for the person whose confidence or for the person whose hope is in money, you know, the, the joy may be manifesting them through having, you know, a secure job, through the security that their job provides or by the amount of pay that they take home, um, for the person who places their hope and their confidence in, you know, their image, for instance. Joy might be produced in them because they got, you know, a compliment on the stairs on the way up this morning when somebody said that you look mighty beautiful. Um, mighty beautiful. Yeah, it's a weird thing to say, isn't it? It's mighty and beautiful. Don't really, it's a real bloke thing to say, isn't it, that is? You look strong this morning. Well done. <laughs> Did you have your Weetabix? <laughs> So, you know, uh, for, for instance, the person who places their hope or their confidence in, in good health, joy might be produced in you because, you know, because you're in good shape, because your, your health is, is good, because you've got no ailments, and your health is, uh, is in a position where you're fit and you're well. But equally, what goes hand in hand with this is that, you know, whilst, um, that, that, whilst that joy may be produced by these things, it quickly vanishes when them factors um, aren't consistent. That joy quickly vanishes when those things aren't consistent. What do you do when you don't get the compliment about the way that you look? What do you do when your health is hit with, you know, crisis? What do you do when, you know, when somebody uh, in your family does pass away? What happens, you know, when, when, you're, when you're all of a sudden are in a position where you've lost your job or your income isn't the same? So I'm trying to give us some good examples this morning to help us to understand this. I'm sure you can probably think of, you know, a vast amount for yourself as well. Um, so, all of this is to say that when we talk about joy, when we ask the question, what is joy? Actually, the question should be, well, whose joy are we talking about? Whose joy are we talking about? Because we, of course, are talking about the joy that the Apostle Paul describes in Galatians 5, which is Christian joy. Christian joy. So, as I said, you know, I like definitions. And um, this is what I believe is a good and faithful definition you know I've mulled over this this is what I believe is a good and faithful definition of of Christian joy joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit 
as a result of knowing and trusting in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again slowly. Joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as a result of knowing and trusting in Jesus Christ. So, you know, right, there's a couple of things, a couple of important things to note here that when I say um, Christian joy is a good feeling, what I mean by that is that it's not an idea. It's not an idea. It's not a um, it's not a conviction, if you like, or a persuasion. It's not a, a decision. It's quite clearly a feeling. It's quite clearly an, an emotion that is produced as a result of something. In our case, as a result of trusting in Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is that there's, there's, a, there's a clear difference between an emotion and an idea. So you don't, for instance, you don't have immediate control, do you, over your feelings and emotions. I mean, that being said, you, you, you know... Um, it doesn't mean that you don't have control over the way that you act as a result of those feelings. But what I'm saying is that you can't snap your fingers and just decide to feel something, can we? You can't snap your fingers and decide to feel something. You know, uh, let me ex explain it a bit better. Let me give you an example. Let's say, for instance, you're out, on the, you're out in a rowing boat on the sea and a storm starts to brew. Okay? And the waves get bigger and bigger. The waves are crashing around all around the boat. And let's cut a long story short, you fall overboard. And the waves are crashing in and around you. You're getting further and further away from the boat. You're being dragged further away. The waves are pushing you down under the water. In that, and by the way, this isn't a sermon on Jonah, by the way, or anything. But, um, but in, that, in that moment, as you fall into the sea, surrounded by the, the, the chaos being pulled further away, going under, um, you don't stop in that moment and say, right, I should feel fear here. So I will now decide to be afraid. You just feel fear, don't you? You just feel fear. Emotions don't, they don't work like that. Thinking works like that, but feeling doesn't. Feeling just happens to you. Feeling just happens to you. As I said, that doesn't mean that we don't have control over how we act in response to our feelings. That doesn't let us off the hook in that sense. But this being the case, you know, I've come to realize, and this for me is the most challenging thing every time I open God's word. The most challenging thing about approaching the Bible as I read it each day is the fact that it's filled with commands to do things that are outside of my immediate control to do. It's filled with commands that are outside of my immediate control to be able to, to do. Commands like to rejoice, for instance. Commands like uh, to fear, to fear the Lord. Commands like to be grateful or to be compassionate and tender-hearted. What I'm saying is the Bible requires of me things that I can't myself immediately produce in my own power. And this is where we're coming to the fruits of the Spirit. It's, there's commands in the Bible that we can't immediately produce in our own power. So it means that the Bible's in a head-on collision with our flesh. This is what makes sometimes reading the Bible extremely uncomfortable. I think I, think I said this a couple of weeks ago that I, I, I don't always feel really comfortable every time I open the pages of the Bible and sit down to read it. It confronts many of my ways. So these feelings that the Bible talks about, such as joy, have to be produced by someone other than us. It has to be produced by the work of the Holy Spirit within us, which is what Paul is talking about in Galatians 5 when he says the fruit of the Spirit. These are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are produced 
not by you and your own strength, but by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So, you know, in that case, Christian joy is not something that we can produce in our own power. So I'm aware that this isn't exactly helpful for us unless I tell you exactly, you know, unless I tell you how the, the Holy Spirit goes about producing this in us. So that's the question for us this morning is how does the Holy Spirit do this work in us? Um, well, first thing to say is this, that it's not just some kind of magical event. It's not just some kind of magical event, and I think sometimes it's badly interpreted as that, that the Holy Spirit just, you know, comes and waves a magic wand without us having any kind of responsibility, without us engaging our thoughts and our actions, and, you know, poof, it just happens. That's not the, the process that happens. The Holy Spirit does this work in us, and listen to this, if you're making notes or something, you can write this down, the Holy Spirit does this work in us by causing us to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does this work in us by causing us, by giving us eyes to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. There's a clue here, a massive clue in Philippians 4.4. If you can put that up on the screen, Juliana. Philippians 4.4, you'll have all heard this, this, um, this verse. You've probably got it on your fridges and your freezers all over your houses. Um, it says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, I've got a cracking question for you, if I say so myself, that may have never dawned on you this morning. How on earth can you rejoice in the Lord as it commands us to, if you know nothing about the Lord, as in Jesus? How can you rejoice in the Lord as the scripture commands us there if you don't know anything about Jesus? Or if you're not actively pursuing Jesus, if you're not on the lifelong journey of falling more in love with him, of looking for him in, you know, in every page of scripture, in every, you know, in, in, in every day of your life, in every conversation that you have. How can you rejoice in the Lord if you're not seeing things about the Lord that cause joy to spring up within you? It's a good question, isn't it? And this is what I mean when I say that the work of the Holy Spirit in you isn't some kind of magical event taking place. It's not an ima a magical event taking place, which, as I said, I think it can sometimes be interpreted as. No, there's much more responsibility given to us than that. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, but he actively engages with, with us in producing this. He gives us eyes, the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus as we actively Seek him. This is why we're forever saying, and you probably get fed up of us saying when we say, read your Bible every day. Why do we say that? Just because Christians have done it for thousands of years. No. No. We say this so that you can, that you can gaze upon the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Let us not forget that after all, the reason that the Holy Spirit was given to us. What's the reason the Holy Spirit's given to us? Jesus said these words himself in John 16, 14. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit here. He says, he will glorify me. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit is given to glorify Jesus. So practically speaking, how does this apply to us? Practically speaking, if you're saying um, that I want the fruit of the spirit of joy to increase in my heart, then you must engage yourself in looking for the beauty and the glory of Jesus. 
If you want, the, if you want your joy to increase, then we need to be actively seeking and looking for the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? How do you do that? I've already given you one clue. The primary way that we see the beauty and the glory of Jesus is by reading God's word. Of seeing him in every page. I'm not just talking about the New Testament and the Gospels where you've got the red letters that Jesus wrote. I'm talking about going back into the Old Testament as well and seeing that, you know, what the prophets wrote about him, like Isaiah, and what the psalmists say about him when they prophesy, and this hope that was this burden that they had in looking for the Messiah, this this joy that was that was bubbling up in them as they were as they were writing these prophecies of waiting for Jesus Christ listening to the things that were prophesied about him. You do it by hearing the hope that people had whilst waiting for his arrival. You do it by, you know, let's bring this to to us right now. You do it by sitting down with people whose lives have been affected and changed by Jesus. You go over there and you you go and ask Kay and you say, tell me Kay about that, that time in your life where Jesus mightily worked in your life and healed you of cancer. You go do it by going up to Roy afterwards and saying, you know, that testimony you shared today, Roy, what what is, what is Jesus doing in your life? You would do it by walking up to somebody who's been through trials and hardships and you sit down with them and say, you know, tell me about Jesus bringing you through and sustaining, that, sustaining you through that time in your life. You do it by getting out. Get out. I defy you to go out and actively have your eyes uh, looking for Jesus and not be able to see him in every mountain that you see, or in every waterfall that you see, or in every stream that you pass, or in every sun or sunrise or sunset, in the face of you know of every you know little baby that's born. This is the the, the, the grace of God. You can see Jesus everywhere if you set your eyes to look for him. And it is when we do these things, the Bible tells us, that that is when the Holy Spirit will do his work in causing joy to rise up in our hearts. That's when the fruit of the spirit of joy is produced in us. When we rejoice in the Lord. When we rejoice in Jesus. If I could add this in there as well. You know, if I could just add this in there. Joy floods our hearts when we do that which Jesus commands. Joy floods our hearts when we do that which Jesus commands. You know, I think sometimes we... Because um, we do go, th- we all go through seasons where things can be difficult and things can be hard. Where you know we're walking through trials or you know we're walking through hardship. But I think sometimes Christians often can sit and try to decipher why there seems to be no joy in their life or that it seems in short supply. Um, but the truth is that they stop following the commands of Jesus. I hold my own hands up here as well, by the way. I'm not, I'm not preaching this to you and, and not looking at myself. When I stop following the commands of Jesus, I stop doing that which I ask, that he asks me to do, my joy starts to dwindle. And that's why there's, a, there's often a big gaping hole which feels empty and lifeless or, or depressing even because you no longer revere him and live according to his commands. Let's face it, after all, Jesus said... These very simple words, but very profound words. He said, if you love me, what will you do? You'll keep my commands. So I have some points that, you know, let's move us forward a little bit this morning. But there's some points that I I just want to bring out this morning that relate to our, our Christian joy. And the reason why it's distinct from every other kind of joy. 
why it's distinct and that, uh, from every other joy that comes from anything other than trusting in Jesus Christ. First one's this. Christian joy is different from all other sources of joy because its source is unfailing and unchanging. Christian joy is distinct from every other source of joy because its source is unfailing and unchanging. Christian joy, it doesn't disappoint. Romans 5, uh, 1 to 5 says this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the, uh, in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in his sufferings, in our sufferings, sorry. Because we know that the suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. I love what the New Revised Standard Version says here. This version says, uh, it does not disappoint. It does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, joy founded upon anything else. Joy founded upon anything else inevitably buckles. Inevitably it, it, it gives way under the pressures of life. Joy for, for a Christian is something that joy for a Christian is something that can't be snatched away from you. This is the amazing thing. There's no other type of joy that is distinct in that sense. Christian joy cannot be snatched away from you while ever your trust remains in Jesus Christ and the hope of his salvation. You know, an old Baptist minister, uh, I love this quote, an old Baptist minister, Walter J. Chantry, I was reading this this week, he says, the only lasting and, full, uh, and fully satisfying joys for any man lie on the other side of the cross. I love that. The only lasting and fully satisfying joys for any man lie on the other side of the cross. And it might seem, you know, this might seem bizarre to us when we live in a nation where, um, you know, where, you know religious expression, for instance, is, is still predominantly very free, isn't it? Um, but this joy that we're talking about is why Christians will go to massive lengths will go to massive lengths to serve God in the midst of the most hostile environments. It's alien, isn't it? It's, so, it's such a, an alien concept to our, to our flesh, to our humanity, isn't it? Why on earth would you put yourself in a hostile situation, such an uncomfortable situation where you may, may well experience you know, all kinds of sufferings? And it's because of the joy of the Lord. You know, some will suffer the most atro atrocious persecutions, you know, in nations that don't allow such freedom or environments that don't allow such freedom, all for the sake of, all for the, sake of the gospel. And they do it because the joy of the Lord is their strength. And because they know that their joy can't be snatched away by anything that they suffer. It can't be snatched away by anything that we suffer. Could I just encourage you this morning just, just to take a step aside for a second and say whatever it is that you're facing... Do you know what? Your joy doesn't have to rest on that. Your joy cannot be snatched away from you because you're in poor health. I'm glad Sam prayed this morning that we all prayed for ourselves. I'm really, really glad about that. And I do pray that God brings healing. But can I tell you, in the midst of it, you can still have joy by delighting yourself in Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're struggling financially at this time, please know that your joy is not defined by the amount of money you've got coming into your house. And this is what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ so 
as such an unstoppable force. I've often asked myself, because I love looking at, I'm quite a, a history geek actually, and I, I like looking at the history of the church. And there's been multiple occasions where huge persecutions have come against the church, where it's been up against the most immense of hardships. And you think, how on earth has this, how on earth has, has this movement of people still advanced in the midst of all of that? You know, you, you go back to Emperor Nero burning Christians in his backyard. You know, you go throughout all the centuries and see the, you know, the, the massive persecutions that have taken place. And I think, you know, something, empires have come and gone, haven't they? The Roman Empire came and went. The British Empire in all of its, you know, in all of its glory and all of its vastness has dwindled away, hasn't it really? Yet the church of Jesus Christ in its meekness, in its supposed weakness, with the loving message of Jesus Christ and forgiveness, has not only, you know, survived through the generations, but it's flourished. It's actually grown, and it's still growing to this day. It's reported that, I know we've got a bigger population than ever before in the history of the world, uh, as in global population, but more people are being saved today than ever before. This is a powerful, powerful, unending, unbreakable kingdom that we're a part of and that we serve. And its power rests in the joy that can't be snatched away from it. Its power rests in the joy that can't be snatched away from it. There's nothing on a parallel with it. There's no idea, there's no religion, there's no force or philosophy or ideology of any kind that compares to Christianity where believers can have unbreakable, unceasing joy through knowing Jesus Christ and his salvation. And this joy, you know, will remain whether you're in good health or you're in bad health. It will remain whether you're well fed or whether you're hungry. It will remain whether you're, you know, whether you're wealthy or whether you're desperately poor. It's something that can, can, uh, can still be in you whether you've suffered loss or whether everything is intact. Whether you're suffering persecution or whether you're, whether you're free. The joy of the Lord isn't chained by circumstance. And I love that. I love that. Joy, this joy means that there is an unstoppable nature to the Christian message. You know, I, I'm not going to go through it and read it all for the sake of time this morning, but I was reading through Acts chapter 5 this week about where, you know, a group of Jesus' disciples are going out and preaching, you know, and they're having massive effect in the town that they're in. And they're, cutting a long story short, they're getting, up getting thrown into prison. The religious leaders of the day, you know, are, are wanting to teach them a lesson and they command them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. You know, an angel comes to them in the, in the night and actually and sets them free. But, you know, what's remarkable is that the angel commanded them. He didn't say, right, be free and then, you know, nip home, have a cup of tea, you know, take it easy, lay low for a little while. He commands them, I've set you free, now get back out there and start telling people about Jesus. So they're right back in the, in the village square again. They're right in the town center doing it all over again. And it's remarkable. And it's brilliant because it gets towards the end of that section in, in uh, Acts chapter 5, 41. It says, the apostles, after getting a real grilling, I mean, it was at the point where they wanted to really deal with them, either kill them or really, really give them a bad beating. And, and, and thankfully, you know, a, a, a wise Pharisee stood up amongst them and, and, and convinced them to, to let them go. But it says that the, the, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Where else will you find that in all the world? That they rejoiced because they found themselves 
because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name of Jesus. It says day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is the unstoppable uh, nature. This is the unstoppable message of Christianity. And it's due to it being rooted in unbreakable and unceasing joy. That's something for us to remember, church, throughout 2020. Whatever twists and turns it has for us. Do you know what? Our greatest weapon is this. The joy of the Lord is our strength, as Nehemiah declares. Christianity will never be broken. That's something that you can put your confidence in. That's something that whenever I turn on the news, you know, when you start to feel a bit discouraged and because there's a million stories on there about how the world is falling apart and how this government is attacking that government and how this has happened in this part of the world and there's fires in Australia and there's, you know, the plethora of different things that would come and, and discourage your spirit and cause you to be down. And I can know this, that actually I'm a part of, I'm a part of something where my joy is unceasing and it's unending. That no matter what's happening in the world, my, my joy can't be snatched away from me. That's our greatest power. That's your, that's your greatest power when you're walking through trials of all kinds. The joy of the Lord is unending because God is unending. The joy of the Lord is unshakable because God is unshakable. You know, let's bring it into our context now. What, you know, what... what it means that you and I don't have to be shaken and disturbed to the point of losing our hope. You know, when people leave, you know, whether it's just the end of a relationship or whether it's, you know, or whether there's a death, for instance. When the finances aren't great and we're struggling or when one of our loved ones is in poor health. When we look around at the turmoil and, and, uh, of our society and our world, when we look through the news, as I've said, and see all the hurt and destruction, in all of these things, our joy cannot be broken when our trust remains in Christ. Because he shall never be broken and he will never cease. The next thing is this, the joy, that Christian joy stands the testing of our faith. It stands the testing of our faith. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded such a great, by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders um, and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us, run the race, uh, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Can I tell you this morning, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him. Gosh, this is an insight into joy right now. For the joy set before him, what did he do? He says he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, I love that. Every time I, every time I read that. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Can I tell you this morning, church, that you can endure the trials and the testing of your faith because the joy of the Lord is in you. Christian joy enables us to walk through trials and sufferings of all kinds with our faith in God still intact. Still intact. In fact, the Bible takes it one step further, doesn't it? And it says that our, our trials and our sufferings we, we face uh, will actually serve to produce good Christian character. In other words, they're not pointless. There is a point to everything that you and I walk through. 
This is one of the remarkable things that is uh, unique to Christian faith, that when we walk through sufferings of all kinds, they actually serve to equip us. They actually serve to enlarge us. They actually uh, uh, serve to, uh, uh, to increase our steadfastness in God. James 1, 2 to 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. How can he say that? Sounds to me like a man who's maybe walked the journey. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Those things that you will face in 2020. I, I wish I could say to you, I wish I could prop, preach something false to you this morning and say that 2020 won't hold anything uh, remotely hard for you to walk through, but then I wouldn't be faithful to God's word. And it's more important that we're faithful to God's word, isn't it? There are things that you and I will walk through this year that you must know you can walk through because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that those things will actually serve to mature you, to bring you to completeness. You know, another well-known uh, uh, Baptist preacher, uh, don't get me wrong, we're not leaving AOG and becoming Baptist or anything, I just like some of these quotes. Another old Baptist preacher called Jack Hiles said this, happiness is untested delight, joy is delight tested. Love that. Ruth, can you come and join me this morning? And we're not going to sing a somber song because we're talking about joy this morning. Let's do the first one that we did, uh, Ruth. What was it? Happy Day or something. We're going to come to a conclusion soon and we're, going to, and we're going to lift up the name of Jesus just as we did earlier on. I felt the joy of the Lord in this place earlier. And we're going to do that all over again. But let me say to you, you know, if I could say one thing in conclusion this morning is that the joy of the Lord, it takes time to nurture the joy of the Lord takes time to nurture. You know, we live in we live in a society today, don't we? We live in the midst of a culture that wants everything instantly, doesn't it? It wants everything instantly. It's the you know, it's, I call it the microwave society. You know, two minutes later, you put it in, you pierce the lid, ting, and it's complete. You know, whether it's, whether it's success, whether it's fulfillment or, you know, the perfect relationship, whatever that looks like, everybody wants the best and the quickest everything, but nobody wants to tread the long, hard yards to get there, do they? Can I say loud and clear this morning, church, that that isn't what our faith should look like? That's not, good, and that's not a good representation of faith in any, kind, in any way, shape or form. The joy of the Lord takes time to, to mature. The, the joy of a Christian should not and cannot rest on anything other than the revelation of Jesus' death and the promise of his resurrection. And it takes a lifetime of dwelling upon that fact. It takes a lifetime of dwelling upon that fact, of dwelling upon the goodness and the gloriousness of Jesus. As I said earlier on, searching for him in every page of scripture that waking up on, on Monday morning and disciplining yourself and saying, Lord, you know what? I'm not just going to go through the mundane motions of life today. In every situation, in every conversation I have, even in every trial that I go through, I'm going to look for the goodness and the gloriousness of Jesus so that the Holy Spirit can produce joy in my heart. It comes from seeing his hand in every trial and challenge. It comes from seeing his supremacy in everything that exists. 
everything that exists. I say this to you this morning, the joy of the Lord isn't made complete through trusting in Jesus one time. It's made complete by trusting in him for a lifetime. And, and hear me in the right sense of this because I'm, I know I'm a, a, a young man. So I, I'm, I'm coming through the eyes of a young man. But sometimes I look around at, uh, let's say, elderly men and women of faith. You know, people that have run, run their race. You know, they're coming towards the end of their life. And I look around at them and, you know, and I see the, the decades, the many faithful decades of following Christ. And they have this, you know, this enduring, solid faith that's come at great cost. It's come at great cost to them. And I look around often and I think, they look so joyful. They look really, really joyful. You can hear it in the way that they talk. You can hear it in the way that they act. They seem to have, you know, less resentment about them, less angst in life. There just seems to be a bit of a, a bit more of an ease to the way that they live life. And then I look at the younger generation, which is my generation, can I add? And you know, we're so down. You know, we're so depressed. We want everything instantly. And you know what, it, it, it just dawns on me sometimes when I look around and I observe like that. Christian joy doesn't come through, you know, it doesn't come through one altar call. It doesn't come through one, you know, one prayer. It doesn't come through, you know, from, from getting through one trial and then thinking, oh, that's it, you know, I've, I've reached the pinnacle. You know, I look around at these elder, elderly faithful men and women of God and you sit down and talk with them and you realise that they've all got something in common is that they've walked many decades through and been faithful through so much you know their joy has come at a great cost to them they've trusted in Jesus they've looked at his beauty and his gloriousness through every trial that they've faced it comes through a lifetime of trusting and gazing upon the beauty of Christ in any and every situation you know what we're going to sing I'm going to conclude there but I'd like us to just stand to our feet this morning, church, if you're able. Let us pray and then the worship team are going to lead us in this song. I want us to sing this, you know, with a, with a genuineness about us this morning. Lord, I just want to pray for J28 Church right now. I pray for every person gathered in this place, Lord, that you, Holy Spirit, would give them eyes to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus so that their, their joy may increase. Lord, for those that have lost loved ones in this past few months, Lord God, I pray that you would, by the supernatural work of your Holy Spirit, pray that you would give them eyes to see the goodness and the gloriousness of God. I pray that, Lord, you would, you would give them a, a discernment, Lord God, to, uh, to be aware of lies, of the lies of this world that would, that would try to pull the truth of the gospel apart, that would try to pull the truth of your word apart, Lord God. And I pray that our, our steadfast confidence, Lord, would rest upon, upon you and your truth. Give us power to resist that, Lord God. I pray that we would be a church marked by all of the fruits of the Spirit. But Lord, today I pray that we would be a church marked by joy, 
marked by joy and not a false sense of joy, Lord. Not, a, not just a skip in our step. Not just goosebumps on our skin, Lord, when there's been a good worship song. Not just people with a grin on our face because we heard a good sermon. But actually, Lord, people that have, have deep-seated joy in their hearts because they know who Jesus Christ is. They know the fullness, fullness of the revelation that Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. That you died in our place, Lord. That you died in our place, that you made a way for us. You're a way maker, as we sang earlier on. Lord, the greatest way you ever made, Lord, was the way for us to come back into a right relationship with our God and our Creator. Lord, for that we thank you this morning and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.